Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I'm David Borax, and this is R&D in the QC. Tarek Bakari and Larkin Eggleston, one Republican and one Democrat who bonded as first-term Charlotte City Council members. Somehow, they both got reelected, and now we're stuck listening to another season of this amateur hour bullshit. In the first 82 episodes, they talked to a governor, a senator, presidential candidates, and even a journalist or two. Their goal again this season, bringing Charlotte listeners behind the scenes of the city council in one of America's fastest-growing cities. I won't be listening, but for some reason, you are. R&D in the QC, episode 92. We talk about Monday's strategy session and recap last night's election results. Super Tuesday. That's right, folks. It's episode 92. It's Super Tuesday, the day after. Which is called Super Wednesday. It's, uh, it's, it's a letdown Mediocre Wednesday. Wednesday. Mediocre Wednesday. A lot happened. It did. Uh, we didn't do an episode Monday night because um, there was only a couple things from that meeting we wanted to talk about. Several council members were missing. It was a short one and relatively uneventful. And we did want to recap the election results from last night. So we sit here midday on Wednesday. we got a lot to talk about there. But real quick... Uh, I know you wanted to touch on something we talked about Monday My birthday, night, correct. The Opportunity Hiring Grants program that we discussed. Oh, yes. Well, that was interesting. Um, if you aren't following the work that's been done in the city over the last year, year and a half on economic development, a lot of things have been evolved. And I think this is, uh, we got an update on Monday night around how we are looking to pilot in a very small way uh, incentives for recruiting businesses and Again, I think we're looking at creative ways to do so, but also ways to attract and recruit and retain smaller business. A lot of the historical tools that that have been at our disposal have been about large companies, Honeywell's and Lowe's. We love them, obviously, but there's a lot more you know job movement around these small and mid-sized businesses, and there are simply no tools in our tool belt to recruit them. So this is one where. Um, with a very small amount of pool of money, we're going to be able to go recruit in competitive deals between us and other major cities, particularly for smaller companies where we say, if you hire out of particular upward mobility-based workforce training programs in our city, um, you can get X amount of dollars, right? And I think that what makes that really unique is we have a lot of these debates in closed session where some folks will say, oh, $80,000, $90,000 average salary jobs in technology. Like, is that furthering the economic, um, you know, divide, essentially? Uh, and I think my answer has always been, as long as they are invested in the community, invested in uptraining those with potential to have it, that is actually the catapult for upward mobility. So now we have a tool or a mechanism on a very small scale to be able to pilot to see how that works. All right. Um, but you don't have like a comment on that? <laughs> cool. <laughs> Good, cool. All right. I mean, that's more your wheelhouse. It's a great, I mean, it's a great program. We definitely need to do more for small businesses and not just focus on kind of the the yep. white whales of a, a Honeywell headquarters. Um, when we can get those, they're great opportunities, but they're few and far between. White and, whales? Isn't that the, uh, isn't that a literary expression? 
Someone's going after the white whale. It's kind of like their uh, is. I don't know if I've heard that. Is that a, is that the thing? I'm gonna look white that whale? up while uh, white whale. Yeah, we'll maybe look like that a, up maybe just I... a whale. No, I think I think it's like your your ultimate goal, the thing that you seek out forever, and it's your crowning achievement. Okay, well, I'll take your word for that. You make movie references. I make book references. We'll let people infer what is they this want to about Dick this. Is this a Moby Dick reference? You just did a Moby Dick reference. Might be. I don't think so. Okay, well, I don't know. Um, the other thing we talked about of note was the Ballantine Reimagined, and this is where near the Ballantine Hotel that everyone's familiar with, they've taken out the entire. They're going to take out the entire golf course. They're proposing rezoning several hundred acres of that whole business park down there. The area they're talking about working on is like the size of South Park or the size of Uptown. So um, this it's is really insane. Far the, the, bigger the, the than probably anyone's it. imagining. It would involve lots of new road connections and a better street network down there. <clears throat> it would involve lots of um, parks and open space and some amphitheaters. It would involve um, preserving the right-of-way for the future Blue Line extension that would go through Pineville into Ballantine from where it stops now on South Boulevard and 485. Um, so this is truly reimagining what that entire part of our city uh, would be like. And it includes things like affordable. It's going to be a lot of office, a lot of residential, um, retail, commercial, but also they're putting in some affordability there, uh, both at 80 and 60% AMI. The first phase would be like a hundred units. The second phase would be, I think 80 or a hundred units of affordable. And, you know, several of our colleagues Monday said that they wanted to see more affordability there. Obviously that's always a goal for us. Um, given the, the land cost down there, there's probably, a a ceiling that's not much higher than where they are as far as what they can do. Um, and this is something that they're opting to do, not that they're compelled to do. So, you know, there's a lot to be discussed there, but on its face, I think this is something that, um, that's pretty exciting for that part of town. I think, uh, my two comments after I listened to other comments and back and forth from our colleagues, one was, you know, people keep using this, really annoying talking point of like well just we need more affordable housing in district six and seven right and honestly we've already been down this path i plead and beg people to bring me projects of affordable housing in district six and when they've come i've championed every one of them but the bottom line is when you hear that statement it's pretty much just a political positioning statement it's not a, like it, that that some, does that brings nothing forth. some people that say it i presume are willing to sit down and have the conversations and go into the details to try to find it um i.e you know malcolm graham said that he's the chair yeah. of our housing committee i would imagine malcolm will sit down with them and say let's actually try to work this out um i'm excited for his leadership on that committee with these set, sets of topics that they're going to be talking about because i think he will really actually have a real conversation my, my punchline on that one was always it's either you know, we're going to go all in. You try to do everything, but you, you have to go all in on one of two things, which is either the number of units. If you're calling it a crisis of more heads than beds that are there, right? That's 24,000 or 34,000 units that are needed. Or is it upward mobility? And you need to place these things in areas where, um, you know, it has amenities and transportation and jobs. Uh, and you just like, you can't, if, you, if you're going to say upward mobility in District 6 and 7 need more, don't ever repeat that that overall 24,000 or 34,000 unit number again because you have said that in your actions in doing so that that's not your priority. 
Yeah, and as always, it's got to be a balance between the number of units and um, and where they're located. But yeah, I mean, it is easy at any for at any point for any of us to just throw out like, well, there should be more affordable. But yeah, I mean, that's that's always our preference, and that's always great. But then there's work to be done to find it and to make it pencil in a different way than than what they've brought to us. So, and in fact, they've actually already done more there was originally not going to be any 60 percent ami in this project they found a way to make that work so i'm not saying we shouldn't press them to to keep looking and keep seeing how they can potentially do more and do better um but you know just to throw that out there my other to to check the box on that buzzword is yeah. really doesn't accomplish much. My, my my only other point or question that i asked staff was when they come back with the rezoning because we're going to essentially rezone a huge chunk of the ballantine as we know it today and by the way as a side note um, we'll be losing one of my favorite and the last public golf courses in town. That's one like of legit. the last, one of the last, yeah. but like the, definitely the last real legit one as they stand today. Um, but my question was, are we essentially, is the thought that we're essentially building almost a city within a city? So there's like two separate Charlottes that will be a little more self-contained or is there just going to be a ton more back and forth because there are some very significant choke points between you know my south charlotte and ballantine right now and if that's going to get worse i mean who that, yeah hopefully this gives people the opportunity to not have to leave that general area when they don't want to or don't have to or when's the last time you went to ballantine <laughs> just like two days three days ago oh for like work related yeah. stuff okay well as if you weren't doing work related stuff with like i me i've been there maybe three times in the last two years and it was all always for ed driggs friday morning breakfast yeah. like, i mean i just I, don't go there i probably anymore. go down there on average once a month but for my day job oh really yeah i mean you're a man about town yeah i get around yeah uh <laughs> white whale an object that is relentlessly or obsessively pursued but difficult to achieve and it does come from moby dick it comes from moby dick yeah <laughs> so we're both right uh, wow all right so Good quick job. election night recap is that and, what you were doing while I was saying my important points? You yes. were looking up White Whale. Okay, good to know. Um, well, you know, when I make a, I don't know if that's considered pop culture, but when I make a reference, it's definitely not. a literary reference, yeah, not and you try culture. to call me out on it, I had to make sure I was right. Larkin knows um, everything about So yesterday was two things. It was Super Tuesday. It was also your birthday. Uh, yes. But no one listening to the show cares about your birthday, so we're going to talk about Super Tuesday. Are you sure? Because I'm a boomer now. I know that was a great picture that our social media team posted on our uh, podcast Facebook page. Braxton Winston you, just walked by the office. Of there. you with uh, hey, ginormous lamb chop sideburns wow. and like a soul patch. And it's I, called I, a looked, goatee. Eh, no, so this is a soul patch right below and your, your wife. Your, your wife and I talked yesterday because I was trying to get some a picture though. She didn't get it to me quickly enough. She says that there was a time where you had like silver tips in your hair. Uh, there was a long time <laughs> and that so I had such. It was really hot back then. She was supposed to get me. I don't. Think I was it in was. a band. It was, dude. It was very. It, uh, it was a boy band. Like third eye blindish, you know, yeah. kind of style. So Krista was supposed to get that to me, but didn't quickly enough. So I had did to I go with a, the. There was the, a lot of hair care I had to do back in the it day. It did look like a lot of work. Yeah. Um. But the more importantly, yesterday we had elections. So I'm yes. gonna I'm gonna breeze through the things that were kind of no brainers, and then we'll unpack a couple of the ones so, that were more big deal though you you broke the news to me this morning early when i woke up so yeah we'll start with presidential biden won north carolina <laughs> biden and bernie both had decent nights i think the the our the general consensus is that that biden had a better night um but most notably 
it just in the last 45 minutes or so, Michael Bloomberg has dropped out of the race because he really had an awful night. He won a couple of delegates in American Samoa, and I think that's about it. Tulsi also won her first delegate. Did you know she was still in it? I, I did. In American Samoa. Dude, Tulsi uh, got 504 votes across Mecklenburg. Well, there you go. Uh, those are probably there were six hundred and thirteen no preference votes. She lost to no preference. Who who is going out on election day it's a protest for vote. presidential? It's just a protest. Like well, and they're voting for other stuff that okay. they care about. Wow, but that's crazy. Um, so Bloomberg dropped out and endorsed Biden. So this is um, Senator Warren still in it. Representative Gabbard still in it. The Clementum all stopped. Obviously out entirely. Do you want to address your uh, your Clementum? Uh, I'm support? on Team Joe now. I had narrowed it down to the to, fastest to, move to Amy, Pete, and Joe. <laughs> so it was easy for me uh, to get on Team Joe quickly after Amy endorsed him and Pete endorsed him. And um, I would have liked to I'm see one with, more. I'm riding with Biden. I would. <laughs> oh, you're so annoying. I would have liked to see one more hop before you got to Joe. No, there was no one else for me. You sure? No, I mean Tulsi. I like no, no preference. <laughs> no, no. I'd have gone no preference probably. Um, anyhow, um, it is it is now a Bernie and Biden race. It'll be interesting to see if and when Senator Warren how does gets Biden, out of how the race does, and if she supports Bernie or not. I don't see her supporting Biden, but maybe she says, you know, I'm staying out of yeah, it. Yeah, what does she do? Because all of you, the predictions you and Sam made were incorrect on episode ninety. I believe that was. I don't think all of them. You said, yeah, who would drop out between uh, well, South Carolina I, I think, and I think Super Tuesday? I think somebody powerful was maybe... Um, Ooh. In, Are in you going to feed into these Bernie conspiracies? Uh, well, no, I mean, uh, I, it's not a conspiracy. I mean, I think that there were people who said, look, there's two lanes here. There's the more there's the more moderate lane and there's the, the more liberal lane. And, you know, when you've got three or four candidates kind of splitting up that more mainstream lane, it... it it paves the way for Bernie. I if, don't see a scenario, and it, look, I'm standing over here comfortably watching this whole circus. We, we were enjoying watching all 16-way circus four yes. years ago. All so. right, well, now it's my time, okay? I don't see a scenario where your party is able to unite before but we November. we thought that about y'all in 2016. And I, I wouldn't say that it was our party uniting. It was that people misunderstood the electorate they misunderstood the masses but we also especially in flyover how country. much that you the republican party would would coalesce behind voting against if biden Hillary wins Clinton. do you think now for the second time in a row the second cycle in a row bernie people are just gonna be like oh, let's get behind him or if bernie wins do you think all these powers that be in the centrist area are going to be like, yeah, well, he's our guy now. I, I just, Frankly, I don't, I don't have, see it. I don't have any confidence in predicting what will happen in November. Um, but I do think a majority of people understand from our Democratic viewpoint what a danger and a problem another four years of President Trump would be and will vote accordingly, even if it's not their preferred candidate. I certainly would would vote for someone who was not my preferred candidate to rid us of Trump, and I think a lot of people will. But either way, let's get to the down ballot now. Yeah, the real stuff. there's a lot of presidential stuff still to be determined. I think a lot it, got determined down ballot uh, that impacts so, us locally. So Roy Cooper and Dan Forrest easily won their primaries for governor. Um, Lieutenant Governor will come back to because there's more to talk about there. Mm. The mid-ticket stuff, um, no big surprises – um, a guy that we know, both know and like lost the superintendent Republican primary, Craig Horn, representative from Union County. Mm. Nice guy. He lost that to Catherine Truitt. Um, that was, was that close or no? Uh, 57-43. Mm. 
the most interesting and, and nail-biting one last night was involving our colleague Dimple Ajmera, North Carolina Treasurer, Democratic primary, three-way race, and it was 36% to 34% to 30%. That's crazy. Nuts. Um, so Ronnie Chatterjee, who we both know and like. I don't it, know him personally. Uh, I like you him. So, you know I him saw him because you said yeah. watch him on Flashpoint, and then I was like, wow, he seemed legit. He won by 21,000 votes, but that's out of like – 12,000 votes. That was really I'm, I'm sorry. It's out of like 1.2 million votes. Yeah, yeah. Um, he won by like 21. That's wild. So that was uh, super close. I'll tell you, while no matter what you think about the candidate's views or whatever, uh, you, I, I'm, I can only assume Dimple is, you know, probably smarting a little bit and it's hard to get out there. I can't imagine what it's like on a state level I mean, race. So. Yeah. Um, so, you know, kudos to her for, for being out there and, and fighting the fight. One thing I won't be sad about is the next like six or seven months, potentially if she had one, you know, having, I, I've not experienced someone running for a larger office amongst the 11 or 12 of us here. So you, I can only imagine that, that, you know, you use those opportunities, um, to get headlines and things like that. So anyone would have done it. I'm not saying un- just undoubtedly she would have a distraction. And on um, the county, I guess, uh, uh, what's his name? is is There's nobody on any local boards that are now in the running for the general, right? No. Uh, uh, Trevor Trevor's Fuller. So, out? Cal Cunningham won overwhelmingly over Senator Erica Smith. And, and our friend, County Commissioner Trevor Fuller, got like 3 or 4% of the total vote. That was a two-way race, but Cal Cunningham won it pretty handily. And we'll face Tom Tillis, who easily won his um, kind of token primary. The most interesting thing on the council of state races, besides that treasurer's democratic primary was Lieutenant governor on both sides of the aisle. So y'all had a one, two, three, four, five, a nine way race, including Mecklenburg, uh, former Mecklenburg delegation member or state house member, Scott Stone, um, who finished eighth, almost tied for seventh. It was actually, it was actually a pack of four in the middle that were basically a tie. Along with Renee Elmers, who was kind of in that pack in the middle, former congresswoman. Mark Johnson, who I said uh, that I definitively could not stand last week on the pod, he got the uh, – I assume that he lost a lot of votes based on what I said about him on the podcast last week. I'm pretty sure. He finished it. a distant third. Mark Robinson, who I don't know personally. I don't know if you do. I've met him a couple times. Got almost a third of the vote in a nine-way race to avoid a runoff. He is two hundred thirty, no, almost two hundred forty thousand votes. The second place guy barely had over a hundred thousand. I am literally like smoked him, shocked. Like he thirty-two percent to fourteen percent. I'll tell I'll tell you one thing. I've only probably been around him two or three times. Um, He is an amazing speaker, like really good speaker, and the party really. I, I I what I was seeing was the party coalescing around him. And, and what my experience has been is that like sometimes that can be overwhelmingly loud because it's a small group of very vocal people. And I assumed that like I thought he was probably going to be the favorite. And then Scott Stone got those two major newspaper endorsements out of Charlotte and Raleigh, like and with really glowing kind of reviews. I assumed that was going to be a game changer that would have at least put Scott in a runoff. Yeah. So for it not to hit a runoff. I think it's really, really surprising. And and I think that sometimes there's a a local bias that when we've got these statewide races and we know somebody, we hear their name more frequently. Oh, totally, totally. Where somebody down on the coast is, for instance... Um, I can't believe anyone the, on the coast knows any of these people. <laughs> well, so Democratic Lieutenant Governor race, um, you've got, you had a four-way race that was really tight 
most of the night. Yvonne Holly, who's a current North Carolina House member, ended up with the, being the top vote getter, but didn't clear thirty percent. So is there gonna, are they going to? So she'll Terry be in a Van runoff with run Terry Van Dyne. A, so that's going to be called for, you know? And almost undoubtedly. I mean, nobody's. Is that the only runoff yes, call? It would be literally. Oh man! I think it's April twenty first. How so would like you seven feel weeks about, from yesterday? How would you feel about being the only race to call a statewide? I mean, what does a statewide runoff cost? Oh, probably a good millions bit. of dollars. So I don't know for sure that Senator Van Dyne will call for that, but I mean, I've got to imagine that you put that much time and effort into a, a campaign that you want to win. Is there early voting for that too? Yeah I, yeah, I assume there would be. And turnout would be somewhere between like 3 I, I and 8%. Tell you, I would have to, if I was the only one, even I would have to like, if it was me, seriously consider not doing it. Just because, yeah. would I want to be the one? The who's, burden. I guess, it, maybe it's different for a Republican, like viewing that to be like, if especially if you're not the top vote getter. Like, I don't know. Well, it'd be the second place person would have to call would it. would always call it, yeah. But anyway, so potential runoff, which I think would be like seven weeks from now, only thing on the ballot, turnout would be, Definitely under ten percent, maybe under five. Both of them are, are females. Yes, uh, Yvonne Holly is African American female House member. Terry oh, Van wow. Dyne, white female Senate member, state Senate member. For anyone who doesn't know, Mark Robbins is also African American. Yeah, so. and then so then Alan Thomas is the example I'll give of somebody that people in Mecklenburg County don't really know necessarily, but performed really well, and he basically ended up in a tie for third place with our friend State House Representative Chaz Beasley. Um, all of those four were clustered oh, Chaz, between twenty seven percent and and basically nineteen percent. So a lot of our friends really had a rough rough night. Um, <laughs> so then coming to so the only two um, general assembly members from our delegation of any consequence races last night, Mustafa Muhammad won handily to retain. Um, well, to to move on to the general election to preserve his Senate seat. And State House Representative Becky Carney beat Jonathan Peebles pretty handily. Uh, to My buddy to Casey Visor won Republican nomination race. for NC Spirit Court. And um, in a district court race here, Aretha Blake, in a race that got really yeah. ugly um, with some negative campaigning. Was it that negative campaigning that ultimately had I, folks coalesce around her? I think it probably could have been because there was a lot Who of people. Who was behind that? Well, uh, probably the uh, the people running the campaign for her opponent, but she won like she doubled up her opponent, and oh, and George. So then on county commissions, the other thing we'll talk about before we wrap. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, first of all, George Dunlap won seventy five to twenty five in his primary. We expected that he would do about that well. Yeah. Um, he's, he's against the UNC Charlotte student. I think anyone. Now, I heard, even the observer said it. Who he refused he them refused an interview, to interview and they which like, is hilarious. He's, he's still the best option. Yeah. But he, yeah, he, he's he's evolved into this role. I think um, he's doing pretty and, good uh, job. Apparently, we I heard from some folks at UNC Charlotte that you ruffled some feathers with your statement that UNC Charlotte uh, students don't vote. I, we need to go back and look at the actual numbers from that precinct. Yeah. But again, you know, I mean, I'm glad to see UNC Charlotte students running for office. We want to see more young people running for office. And frankly, you know, I want them to be able to win. To be able to win, they need the support of not only younger voters but of older voters. And um, you know, when we ran, we needed the support of people older than ourselves. If we rely simply on the people our age and younger, uh, it's a really, really tough uh, math problem to figure it just, out. It, it's just they're not activating. I didn't. I don't. It, for anyone who's like, oh, Tark hates young people and didn't we, want him to vote. Like, I that's said, not it at I all. Hope, I hope what Tark said made him mad, and I hope that they go out and prove us wrong. But th that's the whole point. While. I want, and I spent a lot of time trying to activate in my age when I was down in that level, folks. I'm just telling you, it isn't going to happen. I just, 
it's something drastic will have to change. This is like a generational thing we've seen decade over decade and it just doesn't happen. And I think we have to be like, we have to keep trying or someone else has the mantle now to take it. Cause you know, we've both been there in our Cause 20s. you're a baby boomer now. Cause I'm a baby boomer now. Now that you're 40, but I'm just saying like, don't, don't, I think the worst thing you can do in this space is like aspirationally look at something that and spend a bunch of time on something. If you're a candidate that literally is going to have no impact. Like that's one lesson for anyone running for office, which is no matter how much something inspires you to make the change, to have a movement, to make something, you have to focus in on reality and where your votes are going to be. All right. Final race. And then we'll wrap. Uh, Cause we've got meetings all but day. But I today. love college people. Yes. Um, we've got a community safety committee meeting coming up here uh, momentarily, and then we've got a budget workshop this afternoon. Oh, so it's gonna we'll be a wrap. Long day. But we we obviously have to talk about the county commission at large race. Uh, it was a eight way race. Blood I bath. predicted, um, and as did many people, that it would be a four way race between the two incumbents, Ellis Scarborough and Pat Cotham. I thought Ray two, had it, man. And two newcomers, as in they haven't been in elected office before, but they both ran for different county commission seats uh, well different from each other lee altman ran for a district seat in county commission two years ago came up short to mark Jarrell, and then ray mckinnon ran at large and finished fourth uh the top three advanced two years ago they both ran at large this time ellis scarborough with eighty nine thousand votes was the top vote getter pat cotham with eighty one thousand and change was second and then a huge Wait, what was that what was the 80 89 to, uh 89 to 81 8,000, more or less. seven or 8,000. And then... A, this is the first time in a while Pat hasn't been top vote no, getter, right? No, Pat is top vote getter in general elections. Oh, she's right. Not okay, general, yes, she's yes, not sorry, usually sorry. the top vote getter in the primary. Wow. And then, and I imagine she'll be the top vote getter in the general this yeah, November as oh, well. totally. But uh, then there is a 23,000 vote drop-off um, to the other two that were the non-incumbents who were competitive. Um Although I will give a nod to, to Pastor Brenda Stevenson, who is a kind of a perennial candidate and performed fairly well. But I think we all agreed it was going to be down to Lee Altman and Ray McKinnon. It was. Lee Altman prevailed in third place with um, a little over 58,000 votes. Ray was 5,000 votes back at 53,000 and change. Um, a lot and, of votes. And I think Lee Altman is undoubtedly uh, qualified for the job, will do a good job. I don't know um, her at all, but I know Ray, and I'm just so, so sad for I that. I think, um, you know, along with Chaz, though, I, I, Chaz had yeah. a, a tough hill to climb in a race that had tons of highly qualified people um, spread out across the state for lieutenant governor. I, I probably wasn't as disappointed about anything last night as I was about Ray McKenna not totally, being on the county commission. Totally. Uh, he is exactly the type of person we should want in elected office, and I'm uh, I'm pretty frustrated that that people what could he have done enough to get traction. I mean, just spend more money. I think you know Lee ran a very uh, a very strong campaign that involved billboards and radio. I think and um, spent a lot of money and Ray spent a decent amount of money too. But you know when you're trying the power of incumbency, I think is is the the takeaway from that race. And I mean mm. Ella has done a lifetime's worth of work for this community and. Uh, and everything civil rights to you know working on city council and county commission and all that um but the, just the name idea of being so well known for so long uh for her and pat for them to be that far ahead of lee and ray demonstrates the power of incumbency on some of these races that maybe people don't pay as close attention to and um 
so while I, you know, I don't have anything negative to say about any of the three that did win, it, it is a, a shame that Ray will not be on that board. Um, I hope that I hope that he continues to to offer himself up because I think that his time will come. I hoped and thought that that time was going to come last night, and was was pretty sad that it didn't. Yeah, I I totally agree, and you know, I think the question that somebody needs to have in the conversation actually not behind closed doors, but across this community is at, at what point in time does the community say, we appreciate your service, someone as decorated as Ella, but that time, that time we need, has we come, need some come new to a voices close. And, yeah. I mean, I'm just, I just, it, it's the, it's, it's the touchy it's subject. The, it's the, it's a touchy subject that literally everyone that's in the know has the conversation behind closed doors and no one has it in public. And, and, and the results are exactly like this, where someone like Ray doesn't get to serve. And honestly, it's 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 not fair to her. It's just not fair to her. And you know what? It's time some people, it isn't going to be people on my side of the aisle. It's going to be people on your side of the aisle. Stand up and have some tough conversations about that because, um, because I, I mean, you know, we walk past her all the time around here. And it's just, it's not cool. It's not fair. And, and, and um, somebody just needs to have some tough conversations because... It's not right. Um, what what is what district does Ray live in? Um, in Commissioner Leak's district. <laughs> so anyway, like well, I said, you should think about running for a uh, district. Maybe. Um, Ray, call to action. <laughs> Run in the district. You can start a you can start a pack for him today for for two years from now. Um, anyway, all right, that is our election recap. We got meetings to get to, but uh, hopefully, you all went out and voted. But. Stay engaged. There's still going to be a lot to decide potentially in a runoff election for lieutenant governor if you're a Democrat next month, but definitely in November. We'll continue to talk about it. We'll get more of these candidates on as we can throughout the rest of the year um, so that you can learn more about them as you make your decisions going into the fall. But um, thanks, as always, for listening. Like, rate, share, do whatever else you can do to to help spread the word about R&D and the QC. Love you guys. Peace. (laughs) 